Welcome to Antibodies. This is our 38th Bodysode, a segment where we discuss research papers with the first or last authors of the article. Joining me today is my co-host, Natalie Graham from the City of Hope Comprehensive Cancer Center. How are you doing, Natalie? Oh, just great. How about you? I am doing great. And I'm excited to discuss about something new today. We have another cool transcription factor in town and everybody should know about this. So the article we're discussing today is, well, spoiler alert, the transcription factor yin-yang-1 is an essential regulator of T-follicular helper cell differentiation. This paper is coming from the group of Shane Crotty at La Jolla Institute of Immunology. The first author in this paper is Dr. Simon Belanger, and he's joining us today to discuss the article with us. Welcome to the podcast, Simon. Thank you for having me. It's great. It's great uh, to talk about my research. Thanks a lot. And I just realized the title of this paper is also the abstract of this paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we uh, we try to get titles that get straight to the point to convey the message, so to get people interested in coming and reading our paper. Yeah, no, this, this is quite nice. And Natalie, I realized we don't have a joke for today. Yeah, no, not really. I, I was thinking about why, why one. It was like why, why one, like W H Y Y one. But then that doesn't work either. So it doesn't uh, work. Yeah, we have no joke. No. I think the moral is that T follicular helper cells are nothing to joke about. They are serious. They mean. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very unfunny cells. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Uh, can I give this guest intro here? Um, well, uh, Simone Belanger is uh, graduated from McGill University and studied natural killer cells and their receptors. Um, also, uh, this paper that we're taking from is from his uh, postdoctoral research from La Jolla Institute, where you know he studied T follicular helper cells. And this paper, in specific, we'll be talking about how he developed a novel in vivo screening technique that allowed him to discover some of the new genes regulating the differentiation of T follicular helper cells. Now he's a scientist, one at Veer Biotechnology, working on the immune response of COVID-19 patients. Thanks for the introduction, uh, Natalie. And I think before we start talking about the paper, it is important we go through some of these basic terms that will help the audience get a lot when these terms come up in the paper. And Simon, I will need help uh, in defining some of these terms, probably all of these terms. So first, going with follicular helper T cells. Yes, this is a very important question, and it's actually really related to their function. So in uh, immune organs, like lymphoid organs, like lymph node or spleen, T cells and B cells are separated. So you have the B cell follicle and the T cell zone. And most T cells, the CD8 T cells, CD4 T cells, they reside in those t in the T cell zone. That's where they get activated. And then they go out of the lymphoid organ, just let's say fight the disease. Like for CD8 T cells, they'll go fight cancer cells somewhere else. But then the T follicular helper cells, their function is to help B cells. And to help B cells, they need to migrate to move to the B cell follicle, hence their name follicular helper cells because they reside in the follicle and they help. 
Thanks a lot for that. Next, we got this specific domain called the zinc finger domain. What is it and what kind of proteins usually have this domain? Zinc fingers are uh, like uh, alpha helical uh, domains that bind zinc fingers, uh, zinc protein. And they just like have two domains that are kind of like fingers that like uh, get a, a zinc or one or two zinc atoms in between. And it, those domains will specifically bind DNA. And the, uh, and most a lot of transcription factor which need to bind DNA will have zinc fingers. Okay. Next, we talk about this step uh, in in the whole germinal center reaction. Uh, somatic hypermutation. What mm -hmm. is it, and why is it important? So this is a special feature of B cells. B cells have uh, ant genes that code for antibodies, and their function is to produce antibodies, but also to make it better. So they they refine the antibody. So the antibody binds its target better. So it just gets better. Let's say at neutralizing the SARS-CoV the COVID nineteen virus, for example. And this it gets better by mutating uh, the antibody genes and in a process called somatic hypermutation. Okay, thanks a lot for that. And last term that we have is short hairpin RNA. What are these, and wh how, why are they usually used as screening tools? So short hairpin RNAs are a RNAi interference tool. So RNAi interference, you can use small RNA molecules to uh, prevent gene expression. And short hairpin RNA are RNAi molecules that replicate natural RNA mo RNAi molecules in our cells. Okay, and they're used uh, very commonly in a lot of, in a lot of fields in biology to just uh, study which genes are important for certain processes. So if you just reduce the expression of a gene, you can study the, the phenotype, what happens in the absence of the gene, and it's a really quick and powerful way to study gene function. Okay, and if I, I just I, yeah yeah Natalie. Uh, I just love how uh, shRNA, it's like shRNA, and it's a silencing tool. You know, that's, oh, that's yeah, the best yeah, way to remember it. Yeah. That's a very good tip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this is a way to knock down gene expression, not knock out, right? Correct. Yeah, so you, it's like a real stat. You just turn the gene expression down. Yeah, and sometimes that is very useful compared to gene knockouts, which we will also go through that at some point today. Mm -hmm. Okay, with the terms out, Let's go through the premise of this paper. So the germinal centers are cellular hubs that res are responsible for producing high affinity antibodies. For activated B cells to participate in the germinal center reactions, they must receive help from a type of T cells called the follicular helper T cells. Due to this dependency of B cells on the follicular T cells for the generation of class switched high affinity antibodies, the follicular helper T cells clearly emerge as an essential player in this whole process. And therefore, understanding how follicular T cells differentiate from a naive helper T cells is quite important. Typically, this is a multi-step process. Certain cytokines, such as interleukin-6, are required for this. A transcription factor called BCL6 provides the genetic programming to suppress alternative T cell fates such as T helper 1 or T helper 17. Then the follicular T helper cells also express a unique chemokine receptor, 
Well, several of them, but one such chemokine receptor is the CXCR5 that helps to get the follicular T cells B where they are needed. Apart from these molecules, there is a slew of transcription factors that are important at the early stage of this differentiation process. But why should anybody care about these early transcription factors? Well, you may ask. Thanks for asking. Because knowing the time and place where these early transcription factors appear in the stages of follicular T-cell differentiation can possibly help us understand the processes behind antibody production. Most importantly, if we understand antibody production better, we can pr make better vaccines. So, and I don't think I have to explain why vaccination is an important deal right now. Now, this <laughs> is the broad question that the authors are interested in. Which transcription factors are absolutely essential for the differentiation of follicular helper T cells? Uh, Simon, I have a question at this point. Has the search for this transcription factor been a lingering question in your lab for a while or was it a project that has recently come up? So the, uh, say the search for transcription factors, plural, has always been a major interest in the lab of Dr. Shane Crotty. And when he started his lab, uh, say almost 20 years ago, uh, he pioneered work that led to the discovery of BCL6. And si since then, uh, a lot of work has been done to identify new factors. So just like IL-6, uh, ICOS, uh, our LEF1, TCF1, we're all identified by our lab. So there's always been a lot of work in that. And also uh, negative regulators, so genes that prevent TFH differentiation, like BLIMP1, uh, ID2. And throughout all these studies, uh, former postdocs in the lab uh, started using SHRNAs to target those genes and study their function in T follicular helper cell differentiation. And then uh, a few months before I joined the lab, uh, Shane Crady had the idea, like, can we use SHRNAs to screen a large library, to, to, to screen a large number of genes in a single experiment. Instead of having one experiment, one gene, we could have one experiment, 100 genes. So then we can just discover new factors very rapidly. And this is when I joined. And actually, in my first few years in his laboratory, I developed the SHRNA screening library uh, using a small uh, library of 100 SHRNAs that were targeting 30 genes. And for this, we call it a proof of concept library. We picked genes that we knew had a positive or negative effect as controls, genes that we knew should not have an effect, and, and also genes that we thought there could be an effect based on their expression differences between TF, T follicular helper cells and other CD4 T cells. And this led to the discovery of uh, cycling T1 as a negative regulator. And that we felt pretty confident that our tool, our experimental approach is very, quite powerful. So we thought, can we scale this up? So then we screened uh, a larger library targeting all chromatin regulators. Uh, that was roughly 1200 SHRNAs. That is uh, a manuscript under preparation. We won't talk about this, but today we're talking about the a library that targets uh, transcription factors. And this is when we uh, 
that's this is what we led to the discovery of uh, YY1. So I guess the whole work comes from the goal of discovering new factors that are reg regulating T follicular helper cell differentiation and also their function. It's pretty cool. And with that, I think we have a good premise to go into the results. So if we talk about the first figure, the authors hypothesize that there are multiple transcription factors involved in the process of follicular T cell differentiation. And many of these are yet to be discovered. To cast a wide net at the potential transcription factors at play, the authors designed a large library of the RNAs or <laughs> SHRNAs uh, targeting 353 transcription factors. This library was expressed in CD4 positive T cells taken from Smarta mice, and Smarta is spelled as S-M-A-R-T-A. -A. And these were uh, these were expressed in the CD4 T cells of Smarta mice using retroviral transduction. Before I f go further, there is definitely a um, uh, it's piqued my curiosity. What is what is this Smarta mice? So Simon, can you elaborate what are these smarter mice and how are they useful in your study? So smarter mice uh, are a transgenic mouse that carry a T-cell receptor or TCR specific for the virus LCNV. LCNV is a virus commonly used by immunologists to study the immune response of the T-cells to viral infections. So this T-cell receptor is specific for the GP protein of LCNV. And it's a T-cell receptor used by CD4 T-cells in the natural infection of mouse with LCNV. So all the CD4 T-cells in smarter mice are specific for the same protein of LCNV. And this is a very powerful tool because if you infect uh, mice with viruses, it may be hard to differentiate to tell the difference between cells that are specific for the virus for cells that, versus cells that are specific for uh, endogenous pathogens, so, uh, things that mice are naturally infected with. So you can just specifically study the response of uh, CD4 T cells to LCNV. And for that, it's very important that we can do a transfer. So we take CD4 T cells from the smarter mouse, transfer it to normal mice, and then infect the normal mice. And then you can track the response of the transferred cells to LCNV. And also we can manipulate those cells that we transfer. We can increase their gene expression, uh, treat them with drugs, knock down the gene expression with SHRNAs. But there's also disadvantages to studying, uh, to using this tool is that we're, it's a reductionist approach. We're studying the specificity to a, a, only a single foreign protein and the immune response can vary Diff can be slightly different depending on the target, uh, the foreign target it's uh, specific for. So the some findings that we can find that that we discover using smarter mice might not always be applicable to the immune response in general. I see. And if just to be hundred percent clear, all the T cells in these smarter mice have a same type of T cell receptor. Correct. Okay. And also, because this T-cell receptor is uh, used by CD4 T-cells, all the T-cells in those mice, in the smarter mice, are CD4 T-cells. So there are no CD8 T-cells. So just out of and curiosity, how do you, are, are these handled in the same way as immune-compromised mice or rag mice? Rag uh, they're, 
No, they're just treated as normal uh, wild type mice. It's just we cannot infect them with some viruses. For example, we cannot infect the vi- the smart mice with LCMV because oh. CD8 T cells are required to clear LCMV. Oh, I see. So as long as there is no infection, they're fine too. Correct. Yeah. Okay. They, okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So coming back to the results, the SMARTA CD4 positive T cells, I'll just call these T cells SMARTA CD4 positive T cells that were positive for the SHRNA library were adoptively transferred into B6 mice that were then infected with LCMV arm. Three days after the transfection, they sorted the smarter T cells into follicular T cells or T helper one cells based on either C- based on CXCR5 and SLAM expression. Then the distribution of the SHRNA library in both of these populations were analyzed using next gen sequencing. Simon, if I'm understanding this correctly, if a particular SHRNA is found more, let's say in T, in T follicular helper cells than in T helper one cells, that would mean that the transcription factor against which that SHRNA was made does not negatively affect that cell lineage. Is this correct? Yeah, you're correct. And a good example is BCL6. So BCL6 is absolutely required for T follicular helper cell differentiation. So if we have a CD4 T cell that carry that carries that SHRNA targeting BCL6 after infection, although none of those CD4 T cells will become TFH cells. So the SHRNA will only be found in the TH1 cell population. Okay, so it's a, it, it's slightly a convoluted way of thinking that if the SHRNA is there for the target, that means that target is not required for this cell type. Can, it, it, it was actually, it took me a while to understand it. Yeah, that's a, it's, it's a, you have to think backwards a little bit. Yes. Okay. So back to results, the authors found that SHRNA for BCL6 and this, uh, another protein ITCH or itch was depleted in T follicular helper cells. And these are transcription factors that are known to be positive regulators of T follicular helper cell differentiation. So here's something that you would expect to be seen and you, you, they did see that. Similarly, short hairpin RNA for PRDM1, that, that is the gene encoding BLIMP1, and TBX21, which is the gene that codes for TBET protein, were enriched in T follicular helper cells. And again, it makes sense as these are negative regulators of T follicular helper differentiation. Now, in this screen, a new candidate emerged. This was the YY1 or yin yang 1. Yin Yang 1 was depleted in T follicular helper cells, which means it has a positive role in T follicular helper cell differentiation process. The YY1 gene goes for a zinc finger transcription factor, which is also called YY1. So you don't have to remember the gene and the protein names separately. What a relief, because a lot of these genes and proteins are named differently. What's interesting is that the role of Yin Yang 1 has previously been shown in CD8 T cells, NK cells, regulatory T cells, and T helper 2 cells. But its role in T follicular helper differentiation is unknown. Actually, I just want to comment that also YY1 is also required for germinal center B cells. Okay. Mm. You know, it's so strange that you tell me about YY1 involved in germinal center B cells and I read in your paper 
that there's a whole set of other cells that require this because I never heard about this transcription factor until I came across this paper. <laughs> and it turns so, out it's so useful. Natalie, did you know about this or is it just me? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I know a lot of people that are studying T-cell exhaustion mm -hmm. and YY1 is one of the big players in that. And so people are always trying to knock down YY1 in the context of like, you know, checkpoint inhibitors like CTLA-4 and, uh, oh my gosh, what's the other big one? Uh, um, but oh, yeah, so I, I, wait, yeah, PD, PD, PD1, PDL1. So, uh, yeah, I had not really thought about it in the context of other cells for sure. Okay. So it's just me who has heard of it for the first time. My bad. <laughs> You're fired, Jet. Sorry, Natalie, I failed you. <laughs> <laughs> okay so yeah next the authors wanted to confirm that what if what they found in the screen was real so they transfused smarter cd4 t cells with the shrna that targets yy1 again and transferred these cells into b6 mice and infected these mice with the lcmv arm variant and SHRNA targeting CD8 was used as the control. Simon, can you quickly explain what's the rationale behind targeting CD8 via SHRNA as a control in these experiments? Yes, uh, gladly. So the uh, idea of having a control, uh, SHRNA targeting CD8 as a control is twofold. First, uh, the control cells, the cells that are not targeted with YY1, we want to treat them as closely as possible as the cells that receive the SHRNA that targets YY1. So we needed to treat those cells with an SHRNA. And the gene we chose is CD8, which is not expressed in CD4 T cells. So if we target CD8 in CD4 T cells, nothing should happen. It should behave exactly as untargeted cells. So this is the reason why we chose CD8. And CD19, which is not expressed in T cells, it's expressed in B cells, could also be used. Okay, thanks a lot for that. Now, after the LCMV infection, they found reduced numbers of early T follicular helper cells and increased T helper 1 cells in the YY knockdown CD4 T cells. Similarly, BCL6 expression was down in the T follicular helper cells. The authors utilized a different antigen-specific model as well, and here they transfused OT2 cells, which with the same set of short hairpin RNAs, the YY1 or the anti, I mean, no, uh, SHRNA against CD8, CD8, and then transferred these uh, CD4 T cells that were transfused with these uh, short hairpin RNA into the mice. And then these mice were immunized with, this time, NP-OVA because the OT2 uh, cells recognize OVA. The authors found similar results with, again, fewer T follicular helper cells. So using two different antigen-specific models, uh, a, a LCMV-specific and a OVA-specific model, the authors have come to the same conclusion that when YY1 is knocked down, the uh, number of T follicular helper cells reduces. So to summarize, there is a new transcription factor in town that could potentially govern T follicular helper cell differentiation. And this transcription factor is called yin yang one. So now when you're at dinner parties, you don't forget about these transcription factors like I did. <laughs> now that the authors have a good candidate in mind that probably drives T follicular helper cell differentiation, they want to know more about it. First, 
they ask if YY1 is required for early activation of CD4 positive T cells. This time, the authors transduced the smarter CD4 T cells, again with YY1 shRNA or the control shRNA, and transferred these T cells to, the, to mice, again B6. Then the mice were infected and analyzed one day after the infection with LCMV ARM variant. The authors found that the YY1 shRNA smart as CD4 positive T cells, that's a mouthful. These T cells did not upregulate CXCR5 as much as the controls. Expression of T cell activation markers such as CD25 and CD69 were also down in these cells. This brings us to the conclusion that YY1 is indeed required for early activation of T cells. Next, the authors want to show how is the proliferation in the YY1 knockdown T cells. They noticed that 2.5 days after infection, while the control smarter T cells had divided about three to four times, the YY1 knockdown cells had either not divided at all or divided at most two times. Compared to the control, the fraction of dividing cells that were CXCR5 positive and CD25 negative, which is again a way to gate on T follicular helper cells, these fractions were less. This again suggests that YY1 is required for T follicular helper differentiation and proliferation. Interestingly, the authors also show that transducing with a transgene encoding for YY1 these smarter cells were YY1, uh, I mean, these smarter cells where YY1 was knocked down first could be rescued to have better T follicular helper differentiation. Again, you remove the YY1 and then you supplement it with external YY1 expressing transgenes and the follicular helper cell differentiation is rescued. What this rescue experiment shows us is that the effect of the YY1 short hairpin RNA knockdown that we were seeing was indeed specific to YY1 and not due to some off-target effect that that short hair, hair, hairpin RNA might be causing. Uh, Simon, I like how the whole screening process has taken place using the short hairpin RNA library, and we have got some convincing results. Can you tell me if this method offers any advantage to the CRISPR-mediated screening? Sure, uh, it actually does have some advantages. And one is one that we alluded to earlier, sometimes for certain genes, uh, knocking down the gene, so like removing all its expression is too strong. And YY1 is a good example. Uh, so in the absence in cells that have been that expressed in SHRNA for YY1, the, uh, the proliferation of the C4 T cells is reduced, but in the absence, in the full absence of YY1, it's actually an experiment I tried with CRISPR, YY1 knockout cells die in vivo after infection. And all I am left is a few untargeted cells to analyze. So in that case, uh, a full knockout is too strong. So we need something milder uh, to, uh, to, uh, to reduce gene expression but not completely extinguish it to study its function. But the opposite could also be true. For certain genes, I would not be surprised that just reducing its expression by 50 or 75% is not enough. You need to completely knock, uh, knock it out. And, and also another consideration is with our retroviral transduction approach. So SHRNAs uh, use the cellular machinery 
of the cell. So we just introduce the SHRN into cells, and the cells will have end, uh, proteins that will just process the SHRNA and use it to reduce gene expression. Whereas CRISPR, we need to introduce Cas9. And Cas9 is a huge protein, and it's really hard to do that by retroviral transduction. But there's uh, other approaches that could be used. So actually, former members in the lab uh, developed approaches to use CRISPR with smarter mice. One of that was to use a Cas9 transgenic mouse uh, that is also bred to Smarta. So this mouse expresses Cas9, expresses Smarta. So the only thing you need is introduce the guide RNA in the CD4 T cells. Or also another member used electroporation of Cas9 guide RNA ribonucleoproteins to target gene expression. So it's, it's possible to use CRISPR and they got really nice results. But for most genes, the take-home message is these two approaches are complementary, and it's very important when you do experiments that you use independent approaches to confirm your results, because it's possible that a result could so result you see is only because the SHRNA is having an off-target say, by random chance, or not chance in that case, targeting another gene. So using a totally different approach is very important to confirm your result. That's, that's super cool, uh, Simon. I have a question for you. Uh, you were talking about how shRNA uses the cell machinery that's already uh, in there, like the, the ego and stuff, I imagine. Yeah. Um, does that affect the stoichiometry of other like microRNAs or other RNA interference that is already present in the cell? I wouldn't be surprised if you express too much shRNA, you probably will get toxic to the cells. So mm. we try to like design our shRNA transduction in such ways that we get like one or two, maybe three copies of the shRNA introduced in the cells and so we don't gum up the, the whole machinery. Because obviously those this RNA processing machinery is essential for a cell. So if you just like mock it up and it's not working anymore, the cells will die. And you that don't want that. Total sense. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I can, can I ask a very stupid question? Because I just realized I keep forgetting about microRNA and short hairpin RNAs. So the way microRNA works is the same as the short hairpin RNA, right? Or Correct. No? So the microRNA is the RNA, the, the small RNAs in our body. And they when they're uh, transcribed and uh, processed, they form hairpins. So short hairpin RNA is an artificial version of that that we use to introduce uh microRNA or microRNA in cells to knock down. All right. Okay, I see. Sense. Yeah. Natalie, I'm sorry. I know I have disappointed you because you work on this area and I, <laughs> I forget what yeah, mRNA. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah but, they, but they both use uh, Dicer and, you know, the risk complex that has mm -hmm. Ego and stuff. So, um, yeah. They're, yeah, it's, it's like just hacking the cell's natural processes mm -hmm. to make it do what we want, you know. All right. Thanks for that. Thanks for letting me know about the microRNA and short hair RNA because I, I think I wasn't so far away from what I thought. But yeah, from this point onwards, I think, Natalie, you should take over and tell us what's more cool about YY1. All right. So uh, now we've done the thing we, we've knocked down YY1, and we knocked down and brought, brought it back. Uh, so now there's this question about what if you turn YY1 up 
all the way. You can stitchatively express it. Will that favor T follicular helper generation? So now the authors transduce those SMARTA CD4 T cells with a vector expressing YY1 and transferred them into the B6 mice and then infected those mice with LCMV. So a little bit different from what the authors expected, the overexpression of YY1 does not enhance T follicular helper uh, generation after three or six days post-infection. So by and large, these results demonstrate that forced expression of YY1 is not sufficient to enhance T follicular helper differentiation. So there are a lot of data regarding transcription factor amount and timing for proper cell differentiation. What can we learn about YY1 function in T follicular helper cells from this experiment? Why do you think that overexpression does not recapitulate what is seen in the overexpression of other uh, T follicular helper transcription factors? So it seems that we think that the amounts of YY1 are like so they're already pretty high in CD4 T cells. So increasing it to a higher level may not do any difference. And other transcription factors that are required for T follicular helper cells, such as uh, LEF1 or TCF1, their expression is uh, different between naive cells, TFH, T follicular helper cells, and uh, non-T follicular helper cells. For example, LEF1 is low in naive cells, then it goes high in T follicular helper cells. So if you overexpress LEF1, you, you make sense that you favor T follicular helper cell, which is a, sta- a cell type that has more LEF1. But we don't see that difference in expression for YY1. So adding more is not, seems, does not do anything. And for what we know about the function, it seems that at least our data strongly suggests it's very important toward, for early differentiation of YY1. So after, active, after activation of CD4 T cells, as early as a first or second division, you can tell, you can see the appearance of T follicular helper cells and non-T follicular helper cells. And YY1 seems to be very important in those early processes. Okay, that, that makes sense. Very cool. Um, moving on to the next figure, um, I, I really like this one, actually. It's like very molecular biology. Uh, breaking down what YY1, like the gene, looks like and, and the protein looks like, um, there are three important domains that are associated with different biological activities. So there's the transactivation domain or the TD, and that's what's going to uh, mediate the transcriptional activity so that we can actually get that protein. We've got a repo domain that mediates transcriptional repression, and there's also that zinc finger domain that we were talking about earlier that allows that protein to have direct contact with the DNA. So the authors asked which of these domains are specifically required for the support of T follicular helper differentiation. So the authors took advantage of their previous uh, YY1 shRNA strategy and transduce SMART-A cells with YY1 shRNA, and then also a vector expressing a um, mutant version of YY1 lacking one of the three functional domains. So then, using kind of the same experimental setup, they analyzed T follicular helper differentiation of SMART-A after three days of LCMV infection in those uh, black six mice. And the authors found that YY1 lacking the transactivation domain or the repo domain partially rescues the T follicular helper differentiation. But 
the absence of the zinc finger domain in YY1 completely abrogates T follicular helper differentiation. So I, I think that makes sense. If you can't grab on to the spots you need to go, then you're never yeah. going to do anything. Yeah. So with this data, the authors conclude that the zinc fingers of YY1 are essential for T follicular helper differentiation. So uh, another question I have is, um, is YY1 essential to the maintenance of the T follicular helper phenotype? What if you deplete YY1 after the T cell differentiates to T follicular helper? That is a great question that I wish I would have had had more time to answer. Uh, well, for this, we would need to develop new tools, but that's out of question. It's it's a very important question because if you, I would expect that if you de deplete YY1 at the peak of the germinal center reaction, T follicular helper cells would disappear, and then you would have a negative negative impact on the germinal center B cells. And there's also there's a precedent for this. So work that has been published two years ago showed that uh, deletion of BCL6, which we remember is essential for T follicular helper cell differentiation, if you de delete BCL6 between days three and six after immunization, you have a negative impact on uh, germinal center TFH and the germinal center reaction at later time points. And since YY1 seems to be required for normal expression of BCL6, I would not be surprised if uh, a similar phenotype would happen if, if I were to delete YY1 at a late time point. All right. I I'm so glad you brought up BCL6 because that helps us uh, segue into the last figure here. So, uh, so far, your group had established YY1 as a critical transcription factor in the T follicular helper cells. Uh, you did some structural analysis, which was really cool. So by now, I'm sure all of you at home are wondering what is its role, YY1's role, in the context of BCL6, which is critical to uh, T follicular helper uh, differentiation. So to answer this question, the authors transduced BCL6 conditional knockout SMARTA CD4 T cells with that retrovirus either overexpressing YY1 or just expressing GFP as a nice control, nice and neutral. So next, the authors transferred these cells into the black six mice infected with LCMV, and after three days, neither of those groups were able to form T follicular helper cells. So this data suggests that you absolutely need BCL6, and YY1 is not acting in a dominant manner to BCL6 in the process of T follicular helper differentiation. So to see how BCL6 impacts these cells in the absence of YY1, the authors kind of had to flip the experiment around a little bit. So this time, they used the SMARTA CD4 T cells with either SHRNAs against YY1 or CD8 as control, which we talked about earlier, then used the retrovirus to overexpress BCL6 or, again, just plain old GFP. Again, these cells were transferred into these LCMV-infected black 6 mice, and three days later, the cells with shRNA against YY1 and overexpression of BCL6 could differentiate into T follicular helper cells. So this suggests that BCL6 acts in a dominant manner over YY1 to support T follicular helper uh, cell differentiation. Unfortunately, overexpression of BCL6 did not completely rescue the capacity of these cells to differentiate into T follicular helper cells. So this still demonstrates that YY1 is required at least at some level for the robust and healthy differentiation of T cells into T follicular helper cells. So uh, how do you think BCL6 and YY1 interact to support the T follicular helper program? So one 
hypothesis that we have is actually related to the zinc fingers. So both BCL6 and YY1 have zinc fingers. So one thing I did not mention earlier is that zinc fingers, a protein with zinc fingers can interact with each other through their zinc fingers. So it's possible that YY1 binds to BCL6 through their zinc fingers and together they will just drive the expression of genes that are required for formation of T follicular helper cells. Or it's also possible that they don't interact with each other, but they just co-regulate the same genes by binding to different sites on the same on the promoters of the same genes, or they just regulate two different pathways that when added together all point towards forming more T follicular helper cells. Obviously, this is not work that we've done. It's a very important question that would need to be addressed in future studies. Well, that's super cool. I, I would love to see yeah, what happens and, and who these genes talk to during this process and at what time. So uh, in summary from this figure, we learned that BCL6 and YY1 are both necessary for proper T follicular helper differentiation, but BCL6 acts in a dominant manner to YY1. Right. Thanks a lot, Natalie. Let's get some discussion going. Um, so let me let me go back to maybe a year ago when I remember this paper that we discussed on the podcast about mm -hmm. how the strength and the duration of T cell responses are uh, can give rise to either follicular T cells or the conventional T cells. And I was just thinking about it because from earlier today we we have discussed that a knockdown of YY1 results in reduced active early activation of T cells. So I was thinking, is there a link between maybe having a longer or maybe the strength of the the activation that comes from the TCR and that being linked through YY1 when it goes to form, let's say, a T follicular helper cell? That is a very interesting question. Actually, a lot of work has been done by multiple groups trying to study the strength of TCR signal and how it affects uh, the fate of CD4 T cells. And it turns out it's not the uh, strength itself of the TCR mm -hmm. uh, signaling that affects, but it's how much time does a TCR spend bound to its uh, MHC peptide ligand. And there's a mm. fine window of uh, time that seems to promote uh, TFH differentiation. And this work was done by the laboratory of Mark Jenkins at the University of Minnesota, for those who are curious to look into it. It's actually very impressive work. And it's a, going back to the YY1, that is another question. Is there any link between the signaling induced by the TC, by TCR and YY1. M maybe TCR does not induce more YY1 as because YY1 expression does not seem to change mm -hmm. uh, in different cell types, but it might affect uh, its localization or the expression of uh, partners of YY1. And this could in turn affect YY1 expression. So this, again, is a very important question. What is the link between activation and function of YY1? Do, do you also think just, I, I know you may, you know, not the word, this is purely conjecture, but if we look at the timeline, 
does it look like the YY1 comes earlier? Like, is it a pioneering transcription factor for this uh, lineage? I would say it plays a role in uh, helping the pioneering uh, in the early stages. I, I wouldn't say it's, I wouldn't be so bold as calling it the main pioneering, but it's definitely playing a role early on as we see absence of uh, TFH cells and mm-hmm. when there's no YY1 really early in the immune response. So that definitely points out to a pioneering role, but I think it just it's a player in a network of transcription factors that drive TFH cells. Okay. All right. So I have a question. Are you planning to explore if besides the defect on the proliferation, could there be another mechanism involved in the whole process of defollicular helper differentiation, maybe with a transcriptomic approach or evaluating the distribution of YY1 across the genome in CD4 T cells before and after defollicular helper differentiation? Maybe that could add some key data to understanding the role of YY1 in defollicular helper cells? Yes, those are both great experiments. So doing a transcriptomics analysis in the absence of YY1 to see which genes are expressed differently when there is no YY1 would definitely be of great use to figure out which genes, which gene networks, which pathways are regulated by YY1 and see if those pathways are known to regulate T follicular helper cells. And also the distribution, YY1, binds DNA, like does it bind, does it, is it present in the promoter of genes that are differentially expressed in the absence of YY1 that would point towards a direct regulation of said genes by YY1, or is it bound to different genes? In that sense, in that case, YY1 would regulate regulators that would then, uh, regu- uh, those regulators would in turn uh, promote expression of genes in T follicular helper cells. So clearly uh, those experiments would just provide finer details as the mechanisms by which YY1 promote TFH. And you can also add as a follow-up experiment, we know that the domains of repo domains and transactivation domains are required for full formation of T follicular helper cells. we can repeat the transcriptomics experiments in using a YY1 mutant that lacks a repo domain or lacks a transactivation domain and see which genes are driven, are controlled by the repo domain and which genes are required by the transactivation domain. Are they overlapping genes? Are they completely separate? Are they exactly the same? And you can also extend that to the zinc fingers. The zinc fingers of YY1, is it exclusively required for binding DNA? or interaction with other proteins or something else that we are not aware. So those are all very important questions. And clearly as anything in science, when you discover something, it just opens up a lot more questions. Yeah. And I guess somebody in the lab might be able to work on those questions. So that's great. I think it's also, it, it's, it, I think you should be getting credit for starting this work because now it opens up all those opportunities for maybe other people in your lab or anywhere else who are interested in this transcription factor to start from your study and grow on it. Correct. Okay, and just the last thing, just the last question from me today. Um, we have talked about YY1 today. 
a mandatory human disease question. Is there any <laughs> SNPs in the YY1 gene that are associated with any human disease? That is a very good question. I haven't seen any in my literature search. And one thing that is very important to point out is like complete ablation of YY1 is very toxic to the cell. So a SNP that completely abrogates YY1 function or expression will probably be embryonic lethal and then they will just, we won't find any people, anyone in the population with those SNPs. But there could be SNPs that have a partial effect on function or expression. But to the best of my knowledge, I haven't seen any. Out of curiosity, do you know, is it a developmental defect in YY1 knockout, let's say, mice? Uh, that, I think if I remember correctly, there's some, definitely some defects in the development of uh, immune cells in the, in, uh, in the bone marrow and the embryo. Oh. But because it's widely expressed, and I know it's expressed in neurons, and I would not want to mess with neurons. I don't know if it, <laughs> YY1 is requ- absolutely required for neurons, but it's definitely that suggests that if you completely ablate YY1, you would not have a healthy embryo. Okay. I think this is a great point to end the discussion. Natalie, how can we summarize everything that we have talked about so far? All right. Yes. If you have fallen asleep for the rest of the episode and just listened in this last 10 seconds, let me remind you that we have learned that YY1 is a critical transcription factor for the proper differentiation and proliferation of T follicular helper cells. The zinc finger domains within the YY1 gene are required for this function in T follicular helper cells. Also, we have learned that BCL6 and YY1 work together to promote normal T follicular helper differentiation. Perfect. And I think this is a good time to wrap up the episode today. Uh, Thanks a lot, Simon, for joining us uh, for the podcast today. It was great. And I think I personally learned a lot from this discussion. Thank you for having me. It's always always a great pleasure to talk about the work I've done. And I really enjoyed the conversations we've had today. Thank you. And thanks, Natalie, for the wonderful discussion and also for reminding me what microRNAs and short hairpin RNAs are. Always can <laughs> count on you for that. <laughs> it's an RNA world and you're just living in it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> for our audience, if you're interested to know more about our science communication endeavors, please check out antibodies.org. You can find our blogs and podcasts there. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can email us at antibodies1 at gmail.com. With that, I'm your host, Jatin Sharma, signing off until we meet again. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.